Would you pray with me now? Gracious God, we come before you this morning and thank you for your living word, your word that you ask us to allow to seep into our very hearts. We know how important marriage is to you, that covenant. And so we would pray that the message that you've put upon my heart would open all of our hearts to hear and to take from this place and live out. May your words not come back empty. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, as we continue this series on So This Is Love, what I want us to focus on this day is the concepts of leave, weave, and cleave. And it'll make more sense as we go along. I have a question, particularly for our married couples this morning. How often do you reflect on how long you've been married? How long do you actually sit down with one another and just reflect on how long it's been since you've been married? Well, for Mike and me, that's a lot of reflecting. And I mean that literally because we've been married over 47 years. It'll be 48 this coming June 21st. We can see that 50 mark out there, you know, not far away. Sometimes it seems like yesterday. But more often than not, when we start reflecting on all the things that have happened in our marriage and together, it seems like, as my husband says, it's been a lot of water under the bridge. To which I reply, amen. We met at Myrtle Beach. In fact, it was a weekend and my girlfriend, Teresa, who was Teresa Hutchins at the time, and I were about to pack up and leave and come back to Columbia. And we decided to go back down on the beach. And here comes Mike walking down the beach with a good friend of his. They walk up and start talking to us. And he asked me for my phone number because he's from Columbia, too. I thought he was really, really cute. And I gave him my number, but not really believing he would call me later. But he did, a few days later. And with that said, we were 21 and 20 respectively when we said, I do, to those marriage vows. I'd like to share with you a picture of us right after we got married. It was a time when he had hair and I had more of it myself. The next picture, we're dressed to leave the church and head out on our honeymoon. And I must say that that is not all my luggage. It's only a few things, makeup and whatnot, to keep myself beautiful. But I'm not a light packer usually, so that was just the tip of the iceberg, as it were. And then finally, uh, a picture of us in our Pontiac Tempest as we were ready to drive away into the sunset, leaving our hometown, leaving our families, and weaving our new life together as husband and wife. And that reminds me of the scripture in Matthew. We all know it. We 
hear it a lot of times at weddings and in sermons, if you will. It comes from Matthew 19. Jesus is speaking here, and he says, haven't you read? And he's referring back to that Genesis 2 passage where God is speaking to Adam and Eve. Haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning the Creator made the male and female and said, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united. Now, in some translations, that word is cleave, C-L-E-A-V-E, to his wife. And the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. I'd like to park on this passage with us for a few minutes. The word united or cleave in that passage gives us the sense of being glued together. Yes, glued together as a couple. That means we're tight, tight as a couple. Now, we all know that when we get married, we come from different family backgrounds. We come from different value systems. We come from different lifestyles and bring that into the marriage. Now, it was never so true for me because I had never lived out of my parents' home until I married Mike at 21. And after we took off and left for Shreveport, Louisiana, over a 1,000 miles away, a few of my aunts and uncles came to visit Mom and Daddy, and over coffee one evening, Mama told me later, they said, we can't believe this marriage is going to make it. We think Faye's going to be coming home before long because y'all know she's been here. She's been in Columbia around all of us and, and you and living in the home all this time. We just don't think it's going to work down there in Shreveport, Louisiana. Well, reflecting back, I think for me as a new wife, it was probably a good thing, the best thing, that I was over a 1,000 miles away because I couldn't run home to Mama and Daddy every time Mike and I had an argument. After the honeymoon was over and the reality of being husband and wife set in, there were times, I think if I were living closer, I would have run home to Mama and to Daddy. And truth be known, back then I would think, they would take my side on whatever argument I had with Mike. But then seven years later, when we moved back to Columbia, I remember my mama sitting down with me when I complained about Mike for something or other, some argument that we had had, and she'd say, go home and work it out. This doesn't mean that much in the scheme of things, Faye, in your marriage. Well, I was sharing this with our oldest child, Angie, 
the other day as I was putting this message together today. And she said, Mama, don't you remember? Don't you remember when Stephen and I were only married a couple of years? And, and that day I jumped in the car and, and drove over to your house boo-hooing and crying as I walked in and saying, Mama, it's just not working out with Stephen. We just had this bad argument. So I pulled out the tissue and I handed it to her. And I said, sit down. She said she sat down at the, at the um, kitchen table. I don't remember this story, but she remembers it vividly. And she said, I talked to her about what a good man Stephen was and what they had going for them in their marriage. And I said, now go home and work this out between the two of you. And she says, Mama, you were right in the scheme of things. And in our marriage, this was just a little bump in the road. And I thank you for that day. Now, life wasn't easy for Mike and me those first few years of our marriage because, you see, again, I came out of a family system where Daddy was always home at night. He worked long hours, but he'd be home by 3.30 or 4 in the afternoon, and he worked on cars as a part-time mechanic, and he might be in the backyard pulling a motor with a chain horse. But he was there, and Mike wasn't. He worked shift work, and so he was gone many times at night, and there I would be alone and new in a new city and didn't have a lot of friends at first. So when we did argue, you know, it could be a little bit tough at times. I never will forget, though, when Mike's mom and dad and his two younger brothers, Van and Jimbo, came to visit us for the first time. And lo and behold, that evening of the first day, Mr. Stevens, Mike, Van, Jimbo, they make their way around the kitchen table and pull out a deck of cards and start playing penny ante poker. To which I pull up a chair and sit down and said, deal me in. I didn't know penny ante poker from Canasta, but I wanted to play. To which Mr. Stevens said, you're not welcome in this game. This is just for the guys. To which I stood up, walked to the kitchen, started slamming cabinets and knocking pots and pans around so much, I don't think they could even think about dealing a hand. Later that evening, Mike stood up for me, and all I can say is the next evening, they dealed me in. <laughs> now... When our daughter Angie was born and got to be seven, eight years old when she could count and know the difference between the suits of the deck of cars, Mr. Stevens taught her how to play poker. Imagine that. Interesting th thing is, she beat the socks off of him. Everybody else, too. Well, we don't play penny-ante poker that much anymore, or anymore, really. We haven't played it in years. But Angie, every now, will walk in, in the house every now and then when the whole family's gathered together, and she'll say something like, anybody up for a hand of penny-ante poker, and we'll all grab our wallets because we know <laughs> she's going to beat us at it every time. When we get married, my friends, we weave in the I life and the we life 
as we leave our family junk behind. We weave the I life and the we life as we weave the family junk behind. Ecclesiastes 4 verses 9 and 10 says it this way, two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. In John Gottman's book, Principles for Making Marriage Work, he says this, In marriage, there is a task of establishing a sense of weeness or solidarity between a husband and wife. And he spends some time in that particular chapter about the relationships with in-laws. And he says this, Although mother-in-law jokes are told by men, In traditional comedy routines, the real family tension is more frequently between the wife and her mother-in-law. Did you hear it? Did you know it? I happen to agree with Gottman speaking to the women now, and by my own experience, here's the deal. Many times, two women will have different opinions, right? They'll have different personalities, of course, even different life views and values. The more they get to know each other and around each other, those views come to the forefront. It had been several years now into our marriage, and Angie was born. Miss Stevens got on a Greyhound bus from Columbia, South Carolina, came down to see us for a week. Imagine that. Her views then and her views later in our children's development were different, to say the least, than mine. It came out in that visit that week, even in how to care for the little baby Angie. Now, I know when the baby is born, the umbilical cord is there, right? And it comes off, and then you got the little stub. And Dr. Spock said, you kept that dry. I knew that. I'd read that book front to back. She gave Angie a bath, but it was a baby oil bath for that whole week. And she told me not to put any water on that baby for at least a month. Well, I was so happy to bathe my baby Angie in that little pink tub I bought her. The afternoon, we put Elsie on the Greyhound bus. (laughs) True story. Don't get me wrong. We ended up having a great relationship. In fact, Elsie became like a second mother to me, a great relationship through the years. But I must say, God bless my husband, Mike, because he would stand up in solidarity with me against his own parents, if you will, which could be painful at times, because you see these two experiences that I've shared with you and been transparent with you about... Give the example that we need to leave 
the family systems behind and as a husband and wife develop our own. My word to you young fellas that might be out in the audience here or listening in um, online today is stand up with your wife. Be in solidarity with your wife when it's the right thing to do. It doesn't mean that you disrespect your parents. Mike never did that, but he stood with me. And as we grew together as a married couple and as parents, we developed values on parenting. And his parents and my parents had to learn to respect that. And it took time. So wives, you need to listen up to Don't run home to mama or to a close sister or brother or close cousin every time you get in an argument with your husband. Work it out. And like I said, while I didn't do that, I might have been tempted to do it had we lived closer. So in addition to weaving the I life and the we life together, leaving that family junk behind, The second thing I'd offer to you and your spouse is to embrace a Christ-centered marriage. Now, Ephesians 5.21 says it like this. Submit to one another out of reverence to Christ. Let me begin with the women here. Wives, you have an opportunity and can and should be a godly example to your husband. 1 Peter 3.1 says it like this, Wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your husbands so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives. Now, husbands, you aren't off the hook either. Later in that same chapter, verse 7 says this, Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Couples that pray together, worship together, study God's word together, cleave and are united tight, stuck like glue, have such a model to share with others. Here's the reality. Both husbands and wives submit to each other. It takes two. No, it takes three. Because remember, Dr. Bachknight talked about the love triangle. You got to have Christ in the midst of whatever you do. With Mike and I in Shreveport that first seven years, we didn't have family around us. We had a new church. And so we became a part of a small group of young couples our age that were going through the same life stage we were, raising a little toddler. And that was so helpful. We both had to learn, like most of you have, to leave some of those old friendships and ideals behind as we built upon our marriage. I can't emphasize this enough. Guys, having a strong Christian guy friend that will hold you accountable, that will tell you the truth, sometimes painful, can be golden for you to correct you when you're off track in your marriage. 
The same is true for you wives. If you have a Christian girlfriend or two that will speak truth to you when you need to hear it is so valuable. I had those in Louisiana and in Arkansas. In fact, one of those I still correspond with after all these years. It's been about 37 years, and she and I still write to each other. Hanging out with other Christian couples who have solid marriages is crucial. Actually, I think having some friendships with couples that are a little bit further along than you are can impart some wisdom upon you and your husband for a stage you haven't even gotten into yet and can be a huge, huge help and great wisdom to you. Next, adapt to differences as you adjust expectations with each other in your marriage. 1 Corinthians 12, 4 through 6 says, There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. Now, Mike and I have different personalities. Those of you who know us very well, and some of you do, know that Mike is quiet and laid back, and I'm chatty Kathy and just out there with high energy. We've had to learn to embrace our differences. In the early times of our marriage, I can remember saying, I sure do wish my Mikey had a little more energy. And I'm sure he said, I wish they would shut up. <laughs> but you know, we complement each other. And even if you have the same type personality in your marriage, that can cause thunder and lightning and storms too. It takes work, my friends. What I've come to love so much about my mic is I can walk in from a day, and this was corporate America too, all chart, chart, just charged up, tight as a rubber band, and his velvet voice can just help me calm down. Sit down, dear. Let's talk. It's been invaluable to me through our marriage. I've come to appreciate it so much. Work it out, work on it, which leads to the next point. Value intimacy and vulnerability. Colossians 3, 15 through 19, I'm going to read it again for us. Let the peace of Christ keep you in tune with one another, in step with each other. None of this going off and doing your own thing, and cultivate thankfulness. Let the word of Christ, the message, have the run of the house. Give it plenty of room in your lives, Instruct and direct one another using good common sense. And sing, sing, sing your hearts out to God. Let every detail in your lives, your words, your actions, whatever, be done in the name of the Master Jesus. Thanking God the Father every step of the way. Wives, understand and support your husbands by submitting them in ways that honor the master. Husbands, 
Go all out in love for your wives. Don't take advantage of them. Okay, guys, I'm sure if you were looking at your bulletin and you saw value, intimacy, and vulnerability, oh, boy, I can't wait to see what Pastor Faye says about that. Because you see, you're wired, and some women are too, on the physical nature, that gift of physical intimacy in a marriage. Another level of intimacy is the development of deep trust in your relationship with each other, spouse to spouse. Wives, this goes for you too. Building that trust between you and your husband is so important. It's a lifelong process. I can say this, Mike and I are best friends. What do best friends do? They have a functioning fondness and admiration in their marriage to each other. What might that look like? Well, it's something that Mike and I have worked on all of our lives. I mentioned we're best friends but we compliment one another. I love to see him in his khaki pants, his paisley shirt, and sweater. I just think he's so cute. <laughs> I model for him every morning, whether I'm wearing my jeans and a fancy little shirt or I've got my heels and a dress on. How do I look, Mikey? Oh, you're beautiful. Love that color on you, honey. He knows the way to my heart, doesn't he? We say to each other every day that we love each other. And our little phrase is, have I told you lately that I love you? Have I told you lately that I love you? Sometimes he says it first, sometimes I say it first. We treasure those moments. We still hold hands. And although we have a big sofa at the house, we sit right next to each other, cuddling as we watch TV or spend time together. What about when we're out? We hold hands when we're out. People see that. John Gottman says it this way. When you acknowledge and openly discuss positive aspects of your partner in your marriage, your bond is strengthened. Do you hear that? When you compliment and discuss positive aspects with each other, your marriage, your bond is strengthened. We've learned through the many years we've been married that there are many stressors in our lives. Of course, we built our career as we were married in corporate America. There were plenty of stressors there. Having and raising children, the different phases of those children's lives, there were certainly stressors there. And by the way, the in-laws got involved again. So my wisdom to you is grandparents or parents of children that are about to get married or early in their marriage is stay out of their stuff. Would you? Would you do that? I know you love your kids. Love my kids too, but they need to build their marriage, their values. So I have that word for you. 
And oh, the emptiness syndrome. I cried all the way back from Myrtle Beach when Tyler went to Coastal Carolina. And a couple of weeks after, I know about empty nest. The list goes on. You stay close. You stay in tune with one another. You don't go off and do your own thing. You be thankful for what you have. Those intimate times together. Mike and I still have date night. I like it. He'll go see a romantic movie with me, and I'll go see some kind of an action movie with him every, every now and then. I think I went out more than he does. When we lived in Northeast Columbia, one of our favorite things to do was go walk at Sesqui, walk around the lake and maybe take a little picnic lunch. That was cheap. Didn't cost anything, but we were away from all the distractions so that we could be intimate and vulnerable with one another. Weaving the I life and the we life together, leaving that family junk behind all through your marriage, embracing that Christ-centered marriage, adapting to the differences as you adjust the expectations for each other, valuing intimacy and vulnerability, all those things together will help you expand the kingdom as you embrace the journey of marriage. Ephesians 4, 26 through 32 says it this way. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer but must work doing something useful with their hands that they may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God and with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as Christ, God, forgave you. My friends, this scripture passage is powerful. It speaks to the fact that it's going to be hard to help expand the kingdom as a married couple when you're not modeling what that should look like in a marriage. Hear this. Somebody is watching you as a couple when you're least expecting it. When you're out in public, they're noticing how you're interacting with each other at a dinner table are walking down the street together. They notice body language, eye contact. People are watching. And if you profess to be a Christian, if you profess to be a Christian couple, and you're not living that out in a way that it is so obvious to the world, you better back up and start working on it. 
When people ask Mike and I, how have we been able to have a Christ-centered marriage for almost 48 years, we point to the scripture I just read for us from Ephesians. Has it been hard? Yes. Very hard at times. Is there argument and discord in marriages? Yes, absolutely. I've talked about some of those things today, been transparent with you about the issues of family junk coming into play, the stressors of life. But people will take notice. And what our world needs now are marriages that are going to last. Do I hear an amen? So this is love? Yes, it is. Yes, it is. I've given you some scriptures today. I've given you some personal testimony and some lessons that Mike and I have learned along the way. I believe from the depths of who I am, when you practice and adhere to these scriptures and lessons like these, you'll embrace the beautiful journey of marriage together. Here's a question for you today. What steps will you take to either grow into a Christ-centered couple or to grow deeper? And let me pause and say this. It takes work, and Mike and I are still working on it. It's a lifelong process. What do we say when we get married? Till death do us part, right? You continue to work on it. You fine-tune it. But nothing would please our Father in heaven more than to see us work on it in these ways and be that example to a culture that's poo-pooing marriage this day and time. Falling in love is easy. Staying in love can be messy, but it's so possible and so wonderful and so worth it when you work it out and journey together with Christ in the middle. Would you pray with me? Gracious God, we thank you for your living word and all of these scriptures that you have allowed me to share and us to marinate on, and we'll continue to do that. We so want to be a good model and example of what marriage should be in our relationships. So continue to mold us and make us into the people you would have us to be. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.